Hi, and welcome to the Connected Parenting Podcast. This week, I want to talk about the brain. What's happening in your child's brain when your child gets upset? What's happening in your brain when you get upset? And what's the dynamic? How does it all interrelate? We'll explore that today, and I think you'll find it very interesting. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Colary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week. And we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So let's start with some basic things that we need to understand about the brain. And this is a gross oversimplification, but but these are sort of helpful concepts. So basically, there's two main parts of the brain that are always... Uh, trying to balance each other. So, the, so there's the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex. That's the part of the brain that inhibits, regulates, motivates. Um, that's the part of the brain that prioritizes, that inhibits uh, behavior and impulses. And its job is to see the big picture. Hmm, you know what? I really feel like saying this to that person, but I'm going to get in trouble if I do, or I'm going to hurt their feelings, or I'll regret it later, um, or ooh, I want to eat that whole cake, but I'll have one piece. It's, it's the inhibitor, the organizer. Uh, and then there's the midbrain. The midbrain's job is to keep you safe. Uh, the midbrain's job is to freak out and, and protect you and keep you from danger. And that part of the brain is very quick and very fast. Um, and it will override the thinking, planning, prioritizing part of the brain. It has a, an override capacity. And it can shut that part of the brain off. So before you know it, you're reacting instead of responding to your environment, which gives you those extra seconds to survive. So luckily for most of us, um, we don't live in a world where we have to be in fight or flight all the time. And that's actually a fight, flight, or freeze response. Those are the three things the brain does when it feels threatened. Uh, And most of the time in our world, we have um, our frontal lobes working where we can plan, we can think about things, we can make decisions about what's going to come out of our mouth. Um, But if we're very angry or if we're very scared, that override happens. Uh, And the example I like to give is, let's say you're, I don't know, you're crossing the street and uh, you see a car coming really quickly. You're probably not going to use your frontal lobe. You're not going to say, well, that car is coming very quickly. Mm, I could go to the left. I could go to the right. I wonder which way is going to be faster. You're not going to have time to plan all of those actions. So you are going to clutch your chest, scream, run across the street and end up at the side of the road going, oh my God, that was close. And that would be your midbrain or the amygdala, the the part of the brain that's responsible for uh, fear and paying attention to signals that that cause us uh, to need to react very quickly to our environment. And so we run across the street and we're like, oh my gosh, that was close. And that's kind of how it all works. Now, what's really interesting about this is um, it takes 25 years to grow a frontal lobe. That's a really long time. And thank goodness we don't have to give birth to 25-year-olds because that would be hideous. Um, So what happens is we have our babies and they are literally born premature. Uh, they can't sit up, they can't roll over, they can't feed themselves. Um, they're basically a giant head. If you look at a baby, they're, they're a giant head with a little body. Um, they can't really do a whole lot and they need us to protect them and care for them and keep them safe and nurture them while their brain finishes growing because that couldn't happen 
in, in utero. So there's really a rough map laid down for the brain in utero. So when your baby's um, developing, the brain is really just laying down some scaffolding, some, some rough, uh, rough hardware that's going to really continue to grow after. And when the baby comes out and you're looking at the baby and you're making little faces and they're making faces at you and, and you're having these wonderful moments of connection and you're teaching your baby about the environment, that's when the brain really starts to grow. And it's incredibly rapid. It's a phenomenal time of brain growth for the first five years. And the first year, it's, it's just exponential. And so the deal that nature has made is these wonderful hormones and, and reward chemicals like oxytocin and serotonin, they keep us bonded. They keep us very uh, close together so that we um, don't leave our babies in the grass when they're screaming. We, we stay so incredibly bonded that we guarantee that we're going to look after them and take care of them through all of the difficult stages in life so that their frontal lobe can grow and develop and ultimately, they can grow um, a frontal lobe of their own and have their own baby and help that baby grow a frontal lobe. And that's, that's the deal. So one of the interesting things to understand about uh, the, a child, child's brain is that it's not fully developed. So their frontal lobe is really not up and running in any kind of reliable way until they're about 19, 18, 19. Uh, that's when the brain really sort of jumps into the new adult phase of development. And that's when a lot of kids at that age will, you know, talk about, oh, you know, I, I understand things in a different way. I really get things that I didn't get before. I'm, I'm able to see the big picture. And so we expect a lot sometimes of our kids because we are looking at life with a fully formed adult brain. And they are looking at life um, with a brain that's developing and they're brilliant and they're funny and they've got all kinds of amazing characteristics, but they do not have a fully formed frontal lobe yet. So this is where we come in. So we are not only the architects of our children's brains and helping them to understand their environment, uh, make connections, see patterns, um, learn about all of the social rules and things that are happening in the community and everything around them, our job is actually to be the substitute frontal lobe. That's what we are. So our job is to regulate, inhibit, motivate, prioritize. We have to do all those things for our kids while their brain is developing. And this is a little tricky to do these days because parenting has really shifted. It has changed so much since the time that we were young. Um, where there was this clear hierarchy between adults and kids. You know, we had all kinds of TV programs that showed us that, you know, adults were in charge and adults were the boss and, you know, things would happen on the TV shows and then, you know, there'd be chaos, there'd be trouble, but it would actually be the adults who knew what to do. You'd go to the adult, the adult would have an answer. There'd be some wise words, there'd be a lesson learned, and it was carefully guided and supported by the adults. But a lot of TV programming now... Um, you will notice a trend that the kids know everything. They're smart Alex and they're quite sarcastic and they have all the answers. And if you look at some of the programming, certainly over the last 20 years, um, adults are these silly, ridiculous um, people, especially the TV dads uh, who don't know what's going on. The kids have all the answers. The kids always knew what to do. Um, and uh, it's just this constant message to, to kids that uh, <laughs> adults don't know anything. So that's a bit of an issue and that there are many, many, many messages that children um, get in, in programming and from each other. And there's been this swing 
um, between um, it being a parent-centered model where there was a clear hierarchy with adults being at the top um, and a child-centered model where kids are the center of everything and we want to please them and buy them things and keep them happy and keep them excited with everything that's going on in a constant state of uh, excitement and joy, which is not particularly realistic. Um, so the, the difficulty is kids are pushing back and they're pushing back, I think, in stronger ways than we might have when we were kids. So our job is to be the frontal lobe, to be that regulating part of the brain that helps everybody respond to their environment instead of react to their environment. Um, which answers the question that parents ask me all the time. Why do I have to say things 50,000 times? Why don't my kids ever listen to me the first time? Because you're providing an ongoing and constant brain function because their brain is not yet ready to have that much uh, regulatory control. So that means it's up to us to do that. And here's a couple of things that are very interesting about that. So children will go to school. They'll keep things in all day. Uh, sometimes they won't, but most of the time they do. They come home and they're exhausted. They are frustrated. Things have annoyed them all day. They've kind of kept it in. They come home and they lose it. And especially little kids, you, the, talking is not the primary way that children like to communicate their feelings. Behavior is. So when you look at a behavior that's a problem, behavior is never the problem. Behavior is a communication of the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. So you will not see a four or five-year-old come home from school and you say, hi, honey, how was your day? And they flop on the couch and say, well, let me tell you, it all started at the sandbox. Josh took my truck and it went downhill from there. They don't do that. That's not, they will come home and hit their brother or freak out because it's not the right snack. Um, or they'll get upset about something that has nothing to do with what they're really upset about. Um, and that's how they regulate. So they get all that stuff out they're like dumping it out when they come home on you where it's safe. Um, we're frustrated because we missed them all day and we couldn't wait for them to come home. And here we go. Here it is. They're already starting and they just came in the door. So there's this dynamic already. And what happens when we don't stay neutral and when we react to our kids um, and we start yelling or we get very angry with them, um, what ends up happening is they get a blast of adrenaline. They actually get a jolt of adrenaline, which is a stimulant, which stimulates the frontal lobe, bringing the frontal lobe into balance. They're literally getting a hit off of us. Then their brain gets all kind of, woo, they get excited. They get a blast of electricity, brings their frontal lobe online. They go off feeling a little bit better. And as parents, we're a complete, uh, we're a dish rag. And as parents, we're a dish rag on the floor, exhausted. And that may happen two or three more times with our other kids. So what we really want to be able to do is respond to our kids instead of react. So when we stay neutral, they have no choice but to regulate on their own. Um, and this is not easy to do. This is actually really hard, but it's one of the main reasons why I really coach parents to stay as neutral as you can. Um, and I might have said this in a different episode, but it, it really kind of fits here that yelling, which is a very popular parenting technique, um, doesn't really work all that well. And if it did, there'd be a lot of very well-behaved kids in the world. It really just doesn't work that well. Um, kids end up being at best terrified and scared. Um, and at worst, it's hilarious. You're funny. You're, you're, there's sort of nothing in between. You're either terrifying or funny. 
And uh, when your kids are, are being silly and they're laughing when you're mad, there are very few things that make parents more angry than that. So it's really important to, to maintain that neutrality. And you want to be doing this, A, so you can feel better about your own parenting later, um, but B, so that your children learn to regulate on their own. So what else is happening in the brain? Well, so adrenaline is flowing, cortisol is flowing. When everybody just kind of reacts to their environment, the whole family starts to, to what I call swirl around in, in cortisol soup. Everyone's agitated. Everyone's on edge. Every little thing gets everybody upset uh, and angry. And you end up just trying to keep the lid on the night. And that can be a very big challenge. Um, the other dynamic that's really powerful here is that kids will often bug each other. They will get, get each other going. They'll hit each other. They'll tease each other. Um, they'll get each other going, hoping for that adrenaline hit. They're hoping for that feeling that they get. Uh, my own daughter, Olivia, when she was very little, I can't remember how old she was, maybe six. She said to me, mommy, I really like the feeling just before I get in trouble. And what she was describing was adrenaline. It is. It's fun to bug someone. It's not so fun after they're mad. Then it's not fun anymore. But it's really fun just before they get mad. And that's the adrenaline seeking. So there's a couple of things that you can do um, besides staying neutral. One is use that adrenaline. Plan for it. Have some fun with it. Um, engage in what I call adrenaline play. So this is where, and don't do this too close to bedtime, but you have an activity, whether it's, you know, a chasing game or hide and seek is fantastic for this. Um, it, you could play a tickle game where, you know, they have their hand on a couch or a chair or something, which is the safe zone. And then when their hand or is off of that, then you get to tickle them and they'll come out and do na 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 while they're, you know, they're teasing you to try and get you to tickle them. And then they'll run back to the chair. And um, as that's happening, they're getting an adrenaline rush. Uh, they're getting exactly what their brain needs at the end of the day, that little jolt just to get the frontal lobe up and running again. Um, it won't replace tantrums. It, it, it won't, uh, you know, be in, in place of some of the more negative behaviors, but it will dampen them and you might avert a few of them so that you have them come home from school, feed them first, always feed them first, have a snack first, and then have some adrenaline play. Uh, freeze is a great game. Have some music playing on your phone and then hit the hit the pause button and then you go up to them and you see who's moving and who's twitching and anything that involves a rush. Um, you know, just having them go outside and play or go for a bike ride isn't quite enough. It has to have an element of like, oh, it's got to have some a little bit of fear in it. In, in a positive way. That's why hide and seek is so fun because your heart starts racing when you know the person's getting closer and closer. Um, those games can be fantastic. You don't have to play them for long, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, wrestling, wrestling's fantastic. Kids are basically puppies, especially boys. So puppy play, roll around, um, really have fun with it. Um, it. It's such a great way, first of all, to bond at the same time, but you're actually providing a really important uh, function for that brain. That brain is getting a little jolt that it's going to come into balance after. And it's going to happen in a way that's fun and not negative and people aren't going to be upset after. So if your kids are rambunctious and they tend to get a little overexcited, you can make sure that you front load the game first. You, you have the rules just like it's a hockey game or a soccer game. 
and you have penalties if they're being too rough or if they're not listening. Um, and then they can have a little timeout in the game or a little penalty and then they can come back in. And if that happens more than three times, then the game stops. You don't have to yell and say, that's it. You guys have ruined it. You say, oh, well, you know what? We're getting a little bit too rough, We're getting too rambunctious. We'll try it again later or we'll try it again tomorrow. And you don't have to have a whole lecture about it. Just show them. They'll learn that each time that they get too silly or too rough, um, the game will just stop and you'll try again later. Um, and it can be really fun and call it something. Kids love when you call it something like crazy play or shenanigans or puppy time or just call it something. And that can be a really fun way to uh, get that sort of um, energy out and also get that adrenaline rush. So these are just really fun strategies to help your kids regulate. The other thing that can really help regulation is modeling. So you lead by example. So when you're being neutral, when you're not you know, screaming and yelling because somebody cut you off as you're driving the kids to school, or you're not screaming about, why don't people ever put things away? If we're actually relatively calm when we're maneuvering through our environment, we're modeling that for our kids because they're watching us. They watch all the time and they think, oh my gosh, if she can't handle this, what chance do I have? I'm six. I'm not gonna be able to figure this out. So we, and, and we can model that we're frustrated. We can talk out loud about being frustrated and then we can say, but you know what? I'm gonna do some breathing. I'm gonna walk away. I'm going to remember that uh, I won't care about this tomorrow. You can sort of speak in ways out loud that really show your child that you're also regulating. You're also trying to calm down. Um, when we react, when we get angry, when we um, just kind of let loose, when we're frustrated, we're really demonstrating to our kids um, that it's too hard. It's too hard to stay calm. It's too hard to behave yourselves. My parents can't even do it. How can I? And we expect that from our children. So if we expect that from our children, we have to at least be trying to do that ourselves. And don't panic if you snap and you lose it sometimes. You can always go back and you can repair and certainly go back to some of the earlier podcasts where I talk about the calm technique because that's really important. That's a way to kind of repair if you think you blew it or you didn't do some great modeling there. Um, and that shows your kids you're thinking about it. You're, you're thinking about them. You're constantly trying to figure out how to be the best version of yourself, which is all we ask of them. Um, I think I might have talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again, yelling. Um, if, if it feels good coming out of your mouth, it's wrong. What you should be feeling when you're angry is you should feel the restraint. You should feel it being pushed down in your throat. You should literally feel yourself inhibiting, fighting that impulse to be angry. And so if it feels stuck in your throat and you're like, oh my God, I'm so angry. There's so many things I think to do right now, but I'm not. If you can sort of show your children that you're trying to manage that, you'll be giving them hope that they can do that. And that's actually a great strategy for managing your own anger. Um, you know, I certainly recommend trying to stay as calm as you can first, walking away, looking at baby pictures of them, a lot of self-talk, a lot of deep breathing. Um, but if you actually are really feeling like you're going to lose it, you can kind of yell, but without the words. So you can say, oh, I'm so mad right now. There's so many things that I just like to have fly out of my mouth right now, but I don't want to end up saying things that I'm going to feel bad about later. So I'm going to breathe and I'm going to calm myself. You can sort of talk yourself through it in front of your kids. So you're getting some of that angst out yourself, but at the same time, you're really demonstrating to your child that you're trying really hard to control those impulses. And that's where we teach. Um, when we are angry and um, reacting, we are certainly giving them uh, adrenaline in a way that's not <laughs> the best way for them to get it. We end up behaving in ways that we then feel terrible about later. 
and we regret later. So, you know, trying to manage all these techniques and keep them top of mind um, helps us go to sleep at night and just feel better about our parenting. Uh, and parenting is hard. It is really hard. And it certainly looks easy when you watch everyone else do it, but um, it's not. And if you were to peek in anyone's houses, you would see a lot of parents being exasperated and frustrated and tired. Um, and I guess the the main message is, um, you know, that this model really requires that you Um, you sort of ask yourself, am I about to say something to my child that I feel like saying? Or am I about to say something that my child needs to hear? And those are often two very different things. And you can only do that if you're using your own frontal lobe at the time. Um, And when we parent from a place of fear or anger, um, it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't, you know, if you're saying things like, don't you know I love you? Don't you know how much I do for you? You might be saying words that sound like you love them, but the dominant feeling they're getting is that you are angry, that you are enraged, that you are not liking them very much in that moment. So controlling our own emotions is key. We'll also be happier and healthier. um, And our children are watching. There'll be lots of future episodes about how to do that. Uh, This is just the beginning, and we're going to tackle all kinds of issues in, in future upcoming podcasts. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week when we'll talk about what do you do when you actually feel such anger towards your child? What do you do when you feel like, I hate my kid? You love them. Of course you love them. But there are moments that parents feel this way, and they feel such guilt and such shame about that. And it is so difficult sometimes. And parenting can take you to the highest of highs and the absolute lowest of lows. So we'll explore that next week. And I'll look forward to talking to you then. Hi, I'm Barrett Kaleri from Connected Parenting. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. And don't forget to check us out on the web at connectedparenting.com and like us and follow us on Facebook.